You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. We've got a lot coming on today's program. We're going to talk markets with Matt Bennett from agmarket.net here in just a moment. And in segment two, Glenn Tonser, ag economics professor at Kansas State, will be joining the program to take a look at how consumer meat demand has held up through the month of December. And then in segment three, see, uh, Will Stafford, who works as the CHS Washington representative, will be joining us on the show. He's still unpacking that omnibus bill and what it means for cooperative members. He's going to give us that update here in segment three. And we're going to close the show with Dr. Jim Mintert of Purdue University. They recently released their Ag Economy Barometer for the month of December. And at the year end, it certainly turned higher. We'll talk about those reasons for optimism at the end of the show. But before we do all of that, before we get to Matt Bennett, or excuse me, Glenn Tonser and his recap of consumer demand for meat, we're going to turn to Matt Bennett. Matt, I've got to ask you about the market's demand for beef. Yesterday, feeder cattle went wild on Wednesday. What was driving that market? Yeah, I think it's a variety of things. I think the cash market, for one thing, you know, you and I have talked about that just a little bit. I mean, it's just hard to get a hold of feeders right now. There's a lot of excitement in this cattle industry, uh, cattle complex as a whole. You look at the numbers, fundamentally speaking, it's really hard to get down on this market. And I think if you, uh, you know, you look at the cattle complex as a whole and ask yourself, you know, what would price direction look like if you can hold consumer confidence strong, if you can keep the equities markets from puking as a lot lot of folks felt they might this year i'll tell you what this uh cattle situation is a pretty good one now obviously uh, you look out to fall time frame uh you know october december 161 164 you know those levels may not be good with uh, actual pay in uh, 200 and over for some of these feeders i know what the board says but let's be honest some of these feeders are going for way more than that uh a cattle feeder i think is going to be going out on faith like they usually do but i think people feel pretty good about it right now they must feel good about it matt as you pointed out the demand at the cash markets has been very very strong for feeder cattle for feeders looking to jump in buy these high dollar feeders bet on the come so to speak how are you managing the rest of that input risk here for the next six months you know that's the thing is that uh, we've talked to a lot of our uh, cattle guys and just said you know you got to be careful you know, for instance with this corn market we uh, we obviously know that we've seen a little bit of a dip here at the start of the year uh, a lot of folks were certainly concerned you know whenever you look at this gen 12 report uh, that there could be some downside pressure you obviously have a big uh, potential production coming out of south america once again as far as uh, the safrina crop could be rather large you know acreage increases and whatnot and so I think a lot of these folks are just making the assumption that uh, we've seen the highest prices there are. But uh, we've told folks that once you get, uh, for instance, some of these uh, cash prices down under 650, it might be a good time to go ahead and layer in just a little bit uh, buying into this thing. Uh, I'm not saying we're going to go wildly higher, but by all means, if you would flip the coin, Mike, and you know maybe you have Safrina uh, crop issues, I'll tell you, this could be a really dynamic market because unlike uh, beans where we're building 
world supply on corn. You know, we're still, uh, it looks like we're in a bit of a tightening mode, especially from last marketing year to this one. So uh, that could change this year, of course. We know demand's been impacted to a, a, an extent, but uh, certainly a different story than what we see with soybeans. It is. It is. And corn is is unique in that context here in this environment. And I'm wondering, Matt, as you look out for that corn demand picture in 2023, ethanol was such a strong component in 2022. Do you see its impact coming back a little bit in 23? Uh, you know, the thing that concerns me with ethanol right now, Mike, uh, obviously there's a lot of ethanol plants, of course, around the country, but those that are in the Western Corn Belt where you didn't have the crop, uh, the other thing that you've got going on in the Western Corn Belt in uh, what I call the dark red states as far as the USDA slide, you know, uh, for uh, change year on year from yield uh, 22 uh, from 21. Uh, you got a lot of cattle in those states too. And so uh, there's a strong demand for corn. You got to really inflate your basis to pull the corn to where you need to pull it to. And unfortunately, paying up for that corn really gets your margins in a tough situation. And so while I don't necessarily expect any plants to just flat out go idle or uh, a massive amount of them anyway i do think there's going to be a bit of a slowdown gasoline demands picked up just a little bit uh, but we've still got big stocks of ethanol sitting around and it's a little concerning for me right now so i, I do think that uh, you get on farther past this january report i don't see a, an adjustment in january i could be wrong i just don't see it but i do think the usda will have to probably dial back corn usage for ethanol as you get into subsequent reports Matt, while we're thinking inputs, the feed inputs in particular, you mentioned the soybean stockpiles globally are continuing to grow. It looks set that way in 2023. Have not seen much of a break in meal prices, though. Where do you expect soybean meal to come down or do you? I mean, see, that's the big thing, Mike, is that, you know, anytime you get that dryness in Argentina, we typically see the soybean market rally, but you've got to ask yourself, where'd the rally come from? And it always has been preceded by a soybean meal rally. And so exactly uh, what we've seen happen in the past has happened this year. Uh, you look over at soybean meal and you're going to see a lot of strength because the bottom line is Argentina typically puts half the world's meal or more meal or more out on that world export market. And so, you know, uh, the, the whole industry has got to figure out, Hey, where's all the meal going to come from? If we see this deficit here, obviously people can crush beans in different parts of the world, but it's just going to change the dynamics of the market. You know, when do I see the meal market going lower? I mean, you look at this meal, uh, Oh, for instance, uh, you look at uh, January meal at 483. I mean, you're sitting here at levels that we haven't seen, you know, in a long time. And so uh, I've got to ask myself, uh, you know, how bullish do I want to be up here? Personally, I think that you're you're feeling pretty toppy up in here, especially whenever you look around at some of the other commodities. Uh, but at the same time, Argentina's uh, weather outlook, even though we had a little rain last weekend, certainly doesn't look great. Most of them are talking about a warmer, drier situation continuing. So I think meal may be able to hang in there for now, but I certainly wouldn't. Let me put it this way. I wouldn't want to be a buyer right now. All right. Good to know, Matt, on the topic of wheat. It looks like this Russia-Ukraine war is going to continue to drag out over the winter and on into spring. What other issues are you watching for the wheat market? 
Well, there's no question that you've seen some weather out West. You know, you've seen a little bit of uh, precipitation definitely makes people feel better. You've got to see some snow cover, you know, that uh, I think also made people feel just a little bit better here in the U.S. I mean, overall, uh, whenever I look at this wheat situation, it's a little concerning whenever you look at the chart, you know, uh, whether you're talking Kansas City wheat or whether you're talking Chicago wheat uh, right now, as you and I talk, uh, we're below all of our moving averages for the July uh contract and so uh, it's a little concerning to me that we've broken through that support of course you're you're looking at an oversold condition to an extent but i believe the rsi for instance on chicago july is uh, 38.92 and i've certainly seen rsi is much worse than that in the past so uh, my personal thought is that uh, the wheat market needs to get a little bit of good news somewhere in here uh, you know i'd like to see maybe some export business pick up but uh, at this stage of the game i don't know what kind of story uh, that we have to lean on if we're looking for a bullish type move all right keep an eye on those headlines these markets are going to be volatile we've been talking with matt bennett a founding partner of agmarket.net mr bennett thanks for joining us today Hey, buddy, I appreciate you having me. And folks, stay with us. When AOA comes back, we'll check in with Dr. Glenn Tonser of Kansas State University about his meat demand monitor for the month of December. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 BC. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Egg Network. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and, if left untreated, can lead to death. 
Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. You know, we just heard from Matt Bennett of agmarket.net about the rally that's developing in the cattle sector right now. And he mentioned a few times, if this equities market doesn't fall apart, meaning if the U.S. consumer still has cash and is going out to buy beef, he thinks the future looks pretty bright. But the question is, how's the consumer doing? Well, Glenn Tonser, professor of ag economics at Kansas State University, works with a team to track meat demand across the country. He does this monthly, and he joins us now for an update on his December data. Dr. Tonser, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me on, and Happy New Year, Mike. Before we jump into the data, let's talk about the Meat Demand Monitor. Tell us about this project and what it is you're compiling each month, Glenn. Yeah, so the Meat Demand Monitor, or the acronym is MDM for those that track it, is based here at K-State, Department of Agriculture Economics. It's funded by the Beef and Pork Checkoff. Uh, we launched it in February 2020, and it's a large nationally representative survey-based effort. Uh, we survey over 2,000 people every month, a uh, thousand of which we ask questions about what they're buying to take home to consume uh, on several proteins, including beef, pork, chicken, and the like, and the other uh, over a thousand people on what they're doing away from home. So if you go out for, say, you know, a dinner meal at a restaurant, what protein choices do you make? So we're monitoring what they did the prior day. So what they consumed, uh, have some demand measures, which is not just consumption, it's the value they place on pounds of beef, pork, chicken, and the like. Um, and as I said, we've been doing this since February of 2020. It is a resource that's checkoff funded. Therefore, it's fully and transparently available on our K-State Ag Econ uh, Ag Manager website. So if you haven't been there before, agmanager.info is the home for this. And literally 10 minutes before I got on with you here today, Mike, I put out a tweet on the December report. So it's fresh and hot off the press that we're going to talk about. It is hot off the press, folks. And uh, Glenn mentioned it. Go to agmanager.info for all of the resources that the K-State Economics Ag Econ Department puts out there. Fantastic guides in a lot of different realms, certainly including livestock. Glenn, let's talk about this December data. Let's talk about dining at home. What did you see in that capacity? How are folks adapting to protein prices out there at the grocery store? Yeah, so the retail demand, which is prim primarily grocery store in our system, people buy protein and take it home to consume at home, uh, was flat or down in the month of December compared to November. Uh, specifically, ribeye steak demand and uh, bacon demand were clearly down. Ground beef was basically flat. Uh, pork chops was up slightly, but a continuation of the last few months. So your listeners are on here regularly. Uh, you and I have been doing this for several months now. Uh, for at least the last four months, we've had neutral to declining uh, domestic retail demand. 
And I'm going to end our discussion with consumer finances, which probably ties on your last guest's comments. But I definitely think that's a big part of the story still. All right. I'm curious about that. It certainly matters, the consumer's finances. But as we're seeing these drops in willingness to pay, Glenn, are we also seeing drops in raw price at retail? Like, is are consumers dropping their willingness to pay based on signals they're getting from their retail establishments? That is part of it. So, you know, I, I don't want to confuse our listeners that what I'm referring to here is the MDM survey-based data. There's other data out there. Uh, for example, USDA puts out prices on the meat sector. It comes from our Bureau of Labor Statistics effort and a broader inflation monitoring effort in our whole economy. And that's what you're alluding to here is, you know, what some other publicly reported prices. And for example, in November, so there's a little time lag on these reports, uh, those retail meat prices did decline. So several beef and pork prices were lower in November than October. So you're correct, that's a component of that. Uh, we've had a little bit of supply side improvement on the cost of producing and offering those products is a component of that. But I definitely think we've had demand side decline. So if consumers are less willing to pay up, that's also going to show up in weaker retail prices. It certainly is. Of course, it would that signal would go both ways, Glenn. So that's the continuation of the trend. Consumers maybe being a little more stingy at the retail level. I remember in December talking about the November report, they were seeing their spending tick up at dining away from home. Is that trend still in place? No, it is not. So the, the trend was even stronger on what we call food service or away from home uh, across the board, regardless of the entrees we looked at. So we track ribeye steak, hamburger, pork chop, baby back ribs, chicken breast, and a couple other categories. And you know, willingness to pay for meals away from home were all down in December compared to November. And probably most importantly here, Mike, is both retail and food service, the demand measures that I have in the MDM effort for December are all lower than they were December of 2021. So most of what you and I've talked about with here today is month over month change, kind of the immediate story. But the bigger story is consumers have tightened their belt and demand across the board is weaker than it was a year ago. Um, just the broader financial situation for households is quite different than it was. You know, you know, entering 2023 is very different than we were entering 2022. It is, Glenn. And you mentioned you've been doing some work on consumer finances. And I think that's where this conversation goes next. We need those consumers out there buying up these goods, particularly in, in the cattle market in particular. We're seeing supplies come down. Those prices might just rise naturally. Overall, what are you finding about the state of the consumer, the meat consumer, protein consumer, as we head into 2023? Yeah. So at the very end of this December report, so we've kind of baited folks to go to our Ag Manager uh, website or follow me and you on Twitter and you can get to it that way. Um, I included some infographics on this and we ask, and we've done this for a couple of years now, is basically, what do you think about your household finances? And we do it two ways. I ask, compare your situation now to one year earlier. So it's, you know, current situation compared to the past. And People are more pessimistic, basically. So we ended the year, specifically December 2022, where more people saying they're worse off than they were a year ago. That's not good. And then the second question is, looking forward, what do you think your household finances will be one year from now? So again, future-looking expectations, and folks are more pessimistic. There's a larger share that says they're going to be worse off than we had a year ago, and unfortunately, even compared to two years ago. So, you know, this seems like a real long time ago, but in December of 2020, we were in the thrust of the pandemic, you know, waves were going on, most didn't have vaccine access and the like. And even compared to that point in time, consumer financial you know, expectations around their finances here in December of 22 are actually more pessimistic than they were in December of 20. I think that's very telling, Mike. 
Um, that is not unique to meat, but it definitely has implications for the meat protein category. It does. And so I'm wondering, as we're seeing those consumers maybe try to stretch those dollars a little further, Glenn, are you seeing more change-ups in what folks are buying when they go either to the grocery store or out to eat? Are they looking for cheaper cuts or abstaining from protein altogether? Yeah, so, so we're not seeing a big change in what I call the prior day consumption, just inclusion of beef and pork in your meal. So folks are still saying they're keeping beef, pork, and to be complete here, chicken and other proteins in their meals, uh, roughly on par with what we'd expect and kind of lines up with general supply availability numbers. What I think is going on is a little bit lower portion size, because that's definitely one way to cheapen it up is, you know, you could eat um, two six ounce steaks across two meals instead of one 12 ounce steak is one way to think about that. Um, you know, those that are most financially pinched or most concerned about their finances and most price sensitive are doing some of that. So shrinking the size. And then for several months, we've been talking about, you know, changing the cut, going from ribeye to sirloin or, you know, going from bacon to ham, you know, so moving within the category to get a cheaper item. Uh, we definitely see that continuing as well. All right. Things to watch for there, folks. Again, the Meat Demand Monitor you can find each month available on the agmanager.info website. It is a fantastic repository of information and data about the ag economy. And Glenn, I know you also track uh, cattle feeding returns. And you take a look at that as well, the, the flip side of this equation. And we just heard from Matt Bennett, there's a lot of enthusiasm developing in the cattle feeder space as this year looks out. From your perspective, how are cattle feeders sitting right now? It's a high risk year ahead. Is the industry prepared? Yeah. Are they prepared? Probably depends by the producer. Uh, things do look very nice for the next several months. Uh, where my comments are coming from there, again, I'm going to push people to our Ag Manager website. Uh, once a month, I put out a series. Um, it's projected returns for the next nine months. I will update these next month. So again, go to Ag Manager and you'll see that. But the numbers as of the middle of December, we're projecting positive returns for cattle that would be leaving Kansas feed yards each month all the way out till August. And the largest projected returns are in the April to June uh, horizon. That corresponds with higher fed cattle prices, some improvement on the cost of gain, and higher feeder cattle prices haven't quite hit that margin yet at that point. As we get further into 2023, that'll definitely happen because placement prices are going up. Uh, so I would agree with your prior guess that there's reasons for optimism there. But please note, uh, fewer cattle in the countryside from cow-calf eventually means fewer animals to fill our feed yards. There's been a lot of discussion about capacity processing, you know, harvesting live animals, converting them to meat. There's a parallel and equally important discussion on what's the right capacity we have in our feedlot sector. And I think over the next two, if not three years, we're gonna be talking about empty bunks at different times. So these positive margins per head only apply when you actually have an animal to place. That is a great point. An open pen is a position. I've heard that for a time or two before. Folks, we have been talking this morning with Glenn Tonser, Ag Economics Professor at Kansas State University, author of the Meat Demand Monitor and a lot of other research at kstateagmanager.info. Dr. Tonser, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Mike. Everybody have a good year. And folks, stick around. We'll be talking to Will Stafford, CHS Washington representative, about the omnibus bill when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, 
your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. This is Ernie Johnson, Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles, and college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD, and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill, or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, let's take a look at what we are seeing right now across this commodity space as we started the day with uh, the Dow Jones quiet, but now falling under pressure as we got better than expected labor numbers, job numbers out. The ADP National Employment Report showing private businesses created 235,000 jobs in December, blowing past the forecast of only 150,000 and nearly doubling November's 127,000. Gains were seen in the service and goods producing sectors, decline seen in trade, transportation, utilities, and financial activities. In other strong labor news, initial jobless claims in the U.S. fell 19,000 week on week to 204,000, well below expectations of a slight increase to 225 thousand and representing the lowest weekly level since late September. So it appears that is impacting the uh, stock market. Crude oil has come well off its overnight highs, only up 17 cents a barrel, 7301. Grains and livestock remain muted to slightly lower as we've now reversed out of gains in wheat and we're down a couple of cents in quarter of wheat down moderately about eight to nine lower in this soybean complex here as well. And we see livestock trade moderately lower. And really, these markets feel like they're just succumbing again to outside market pressure as well as fund liquidation as a lot of funds who have been long grain contracts are seemingly getting out of those long positions here as we get into the new year. We saw March corn on China's Dalian Exchange close at the U.S. equivalent of 1062 a bushel Thursday, its eighth consecutive higher close. So that's another interesting note to watch on the global spectrum here. But overall, these markets here in the U.S. just feeling a little more pressure, it appears, here today. We'll see if those losses hold as we work through the session throughout the grain and livestock trade. Again, moderately lower in both grains and livestock. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. 
This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Hello, folks, and welcome back to AOA. Certainly a lot going on in the world of agriculture and a lot happening in Washington, D.C. We're going to be checking in with CHS Washington Representative Will Stafford here in just a moment. Of course, if you've been paying attention to the news, you know that the House of Representatives is effectively stalled today as they continue to vote for a new speaker. The business of the House, the majority of the business of the House of Representatives can't move forward until that procedure is completed. No doubt Will is working with that, dealing with that craziness in D.C. We'll get him on here in just a moment. In the meantime, however, we do have more data coming from Uncle Sam. Importantly, this uh, this week, we got some updated information on labor, jobs data. It is still running Hot. This is one of the key components that the U.S. Federal Reserve is watching. Chairman Jerome Powell has mentioned in many of his comments that one of the stickiest places for higher prices has been in wages. We've continued over the past several months, even as that core inflation has turned down. Those headline numbers have have started to trend down, the pace of inflation for wage and labor has stayed relatively strong. And this data, this uh, this week's data from ADP exceeded expectations by far one more time. In fact, a survey put together by Bloomberg, only one economist estimated we'd see as many jobs as we did this week. ADP reported 235,000 positions created this last month. Now, of course, if you've been paying attention to the news, you've been hearing about all of these layoffs happening at tech giants. Amazon announced an 18,000 position cut that is coming here over the next little bit. What was interesting, this ADP report showed that most of these private payrolls that grew in the month of December were small and medium-sized businesses. It's unsure what that means totally for the economy, but the trade has taken a look at this jobs data. Remember, stronger than anticipated an indication, perhaps, that inflation is still entrenched in the economy, and that makes these market watchers wonder if the Federal Reserve is going to have to continue its steady pace of interest rate hikes. The stronger this labor data the longer this labor data stays strong, the more pressure will be on the Federal Reserve to hold interest rates high in the hopes of cooling these things off. ADP noted that job gains were concentrated in businesses with less than 500 employees. Conversely, the largest companies cut 151,000 workers from their payroll. So to put that into perspective, those employers with less than 500 employees effectively added you know, something to the effect of close to 400,000 jobs in the month of December. Nella Richardson, chief economist at ADP, who provides this survey data each month, said the labor market is strong but, quote, fragmented, with hiring varying sharply by industry and establishment size. So market response today, we're seeing this in the equities. We're seeing it spill out across the grain markets. The trend is down. The concern of these higher interest rates, the idea that the cost of money might continue to rise, is certainly impacting the way these traders are making their bets about the financial future going forward. We've got some other news that we'd like to touch on just briefly. These are some stories that have been developing out there in the world of agriculture, and I think it is worth discussing. 
This is a topic that has come up several times over the past year. It is a topic that is going to heat up as the U.S. Supreme Court readies itself to release its decision later on this spring on the Proposition 12 case in California. Of course, if we think back to Proposition 12, it was the law passed in 2018 by the voters of California that required a certain amount of square footage per head for animals raised in captivity. And importantly for our markets, the, the animals that we've been focusing on for the most part have been hogs. The state of California is looking to push hog producers away from using gestation crates. And recently, a report by the USDA ERS uh, in Economic Research Service is the branch of the USDA that did this work. They looked into different states' animal welfare policies, they looked at the implementation, and they looked at some of the challenges these policies are facing. And what they found is that really 10 states in total have banned the use of gestation crates at, uh, for sows. 14 states in total have passed or are implementing some form of legislation that impacts livestock production. And we're seeing the report note that by 2026, gestation crate bans will impact more than 7% of the U.S. breeding sow herd and almost 18% of breeding operations. And now this report was written without Proposition 12 as law. So, of course, these numbers could change. They could grow a little bit as if that Proposition 12 is upheld and uh, if the Supreme Court sees that encouraging as it goes on down the line. Now, we've also got some other stories. I mentioned as we were talking with Matt Bennett earlier in the program about the war between Russia and Ukraine. There were some comments made earlier this week by Vladimir Putin. He gave a very uh, a much-watched New Year's Eve address, and shortly after that, he said that he would be willing to have talks with Ukraine on the subject of peace, told this to Turkish President Erdogan, if Ukraine were willing to sign off on the territories it had lost, or the territories that Russia has annexed already. And uh, the Ukrainian officials responded early on Wednesday, and they said, no deal. We're not going to have that conversation. We are prepared to continue fighting. So we will be watching that story as it continues to play out. This Ukraine-Russia war has certainly upended market prices. And as we talked with Josh Linville on the program yesterday, the vice president of fertilizer over at StoneX, the impact, particularly on the energy market of this ongoing war, is something we will feel throughout the year. Domestically, of course, I touched on the conversations happening in the House of Representatives, but we've also got some conversations happening about the border. In the month of December, we talked to several folks on this program who were desperate for some change in the world of ag labor legislation, notably looking for changes down at the border. And this administration has, uh, prior to the election, was had not managed to make a trip down to the visit. It appears as though that's changing. President Biden announced on Wednesday that he does intend to make a border visit. Uh, and this is in this next week. Of course, President Biden will be going down to Mexico City for the North American Leaders Summit. This is a, a gathering of the leaders in North America. So you've got AMLO, president of Mexico. You'll have President Biden from the United States. And of course, uh, Justin Trudeau from Canada, all gathering in Mexico to hash out some of these issues. And he did say that on his way down to Mexico City, 
He is planning or intending, was the quote, to have a visit to the border. We'll see how all that shakes out. No doubt we'll see if this can push any action on the immigration front. But now we are going to turn our focus to those conversations that are happening in Washington, D.C. Joining us today is Will Stafford, serves as the representative for CHS in Washington, D.C. Will, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I wanted to get you on, Will, because at the tail end of 2022, we saw Congress pass this big omnibus bill. What's in there for cooperative systems here in this country? Yeah, well, uh, first of all, they, they funded the government through it. Um, so that's always a good thing um, and, and something we like to see happen. Um, but all the time at the end of these, um, you know, these end of the year large package pieces of legislation, um, they, they add things to that that may be uh have lots of support within congress but for whatever reason have not gotten across the finish line uh and one of those specifically that we did see get um get included in the omnibus and signed into law is a piece of legislation that we've been very supportive at chs called the growing climate solutions act uh and that piece of piece of legislation really aims to break down barriers so that farmers are more able to participate in some of these private carbon markets that are popping up it adds a lot of certainty um, to the carbon markets um, that can be kind of the Wild West right now. It gets USDA involved, um, it establishes a, a certified provider program, things like that that we're very excited to see happen. Should help provide a roadmap to growers who are looking to move into this new space. Well, with that Growing Climate Solutions Act, do we expect the rules to come out piece by piece over this next year? Uh, that is unclear. There are some some time frames established in the law for USDA to abide by, um, but how fast they'll do that um, is will be slightly open, I guess, to USDA. But I would expect most of it to get done um, within this next 12 months. Um, one piece of that that we are very excited for USDA to start talking about is uh, they they are required to have an advisory panel um, that will be very grower focused um, which we're happy to see and and we really do hope that they will uh include cooperatives on that advisory council that they are that they will put together for this well there's a lot happening in washington and certainly this week with the discussion for speakers of the house is this throwing off any potential for a farm bill later on this year uh you know unclear yet how this will impact um you know a farm bill that we're supposed to have uh passed or extended um by the end of september um but it's certainly throwing off uh the work that's supposed to be done early on in a new congress um it's it's kind of uh unclear uh and new ground i guess i would say um for most of us here in dc um and certainly the new members of congress that that were just elected um over on the house side uh they don't have a speaker right now. Uh, the, the last I saw, I think they were up to six different failed votes, which is um, far and away the, the most that we've ever had for a, a vote count without a speaker on the House of Representatives. And I think a lot of folks are just trying to figure out what that means. Um, you know, technically, you need a speaker of the House to swear in members for a new Congress. Um, so right now, members are just member elect they're not actual members of congress yet so just trying to see what what work that will mean for them and uh and and how that'll impact things like agriculture policy absolutely it is going to be interesting to unpack but i think 2023 is going to be a politically interesting year nonetheless will stafford chs washington representative thank you so much for joining us today 
Thank you. And folks, stick around. We'll take a look at that ag economy barometer barometer when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We, we, we We are are the the Foundation foundation Fighting fighting Blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers, and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. And we're live here outside the Perez family home just waiting for the... And there they go, almost on time this morning. Mom is coming out the front door strong with a double-arm kid carry. Looks like Dad has the bags. Daughter is bringing up the rear. Oh, but the diaper bag wasn't closed. Diapers and toys are everywhere. Ooh, but Mom has just nailed the perfect car seat buckle for the toddler. And now the eldest daughter, who looks to be about 9 or 10, has secured herself in the booster seat. Dad zips the bag closed, and they're off. Ah, but looks like Mom doesn't realize her coffee cup is still on the roof of the car. And there it goes. 
Oh, that's a shame. That mug was a fam favorite. Don't sweat the small stuff. Just nail the big stuff. Like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Learn more at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Is your bathroom looking old and worn out? Want to update it, but you don't know where to start? Then let BCI Bath & Shower show you how to turn that old bath into an aisle of beauty and functionality. Our residential bathroom solutions provide the best value on the market, and our customer service is second to none. Our cost-effective BCI Bath & Shower family of products has what you need. Remodeling our bathroom was a big decision for us. They didn't make a mess out of our house at all. And at the end of the day, we had a beautiful new bathroom. And it was a great experience the whole way through. We have the best monthly payment programs in the industry, with payments as low as $68 per month, or no interest, no payments for 18 months. For a limited time, be one of the first 100 callers who schedule a free in-home consultation and receive $500 off. Call 800-721-9985 for a free no-obligation price quote. That's 800-721-9985. Factory trained and certified installers made in the USA and discounts for seniors and military. BCI Bath & Shower, the leader in affordable bathroom products. That's 800-721-9985. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making AOA a part of your day today. You know, earlier in the program, we checked in with Dr. Glenn Tonser of Kansas State University. We talked briefly about the economic health for cattle feeders in the state of Kansas. Now we're going to broaden our scope. We're going to take a look at the economic health for farms, broadly speaking. Joining us next is Dr. Jim Mintert. He's the director of the Center for Commercial Agriculture at Purdue. They are responsible for publishing the Purdue Ag Barometer. He joins us today. Dr. Mentor, thanks for joining us. Great to be here, Mike. Let's talk about the barometer and what is it that you're measuring there at the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture each month, Jim? So this, the barometer is a sentiment survey. And I guess for listeners, if you're familiar with the University of Michigan's consumer sentiment survey, which has been around since the 1950s, what we've done is kind of emulate that, but focusing on a particular sector of the, ag, of the U.S. economy, namely the ag economy. And we've really focused just on the producers. And we've tried to focus on people that are uh, commercial scale producers, people who are engaged in agriculture, production agriculture as a significant source of their family's income. And for folks in that line of work, this past year has been a volatile one with input costs skyrocketing, strong prices for commodity. Dr. Mentor, how did that end the year for the folks you survey for the barometer? So the barometer was declining through much of 2022. And then we had a nice bounce in December. Uh, the barometer was actually up. Uh, the index itself was up 24 points to a reading of 126. That's up from 102 the prior month. And, you know, if you look back over the last two years, there's been a big change in sentiment. Uh, at the end of 2020, beginning of 2021, pretty pe people were pretty optimistic. Uh, we lost a lot of that sentiment over the last two years. And so the bounce at the end of the year, I think, was really a recognition of the fact that there was more going on in the ag economy than just the cost side, which you mentioned. I think that did bother people tremendously as we went through 2022. But at the end of the year, I think people finally recognized that actually 2022, for most people in agriculture, especially in the Corn Belt, 
was a pretty darn good income year. And so I think that recognition took place as people wrapped up harvest, wrapped up fall tillage, um, maybe visited with their CPA about their tax situation. And I think that gave us the bounce at the end of the year. You know, I'm really glad you brought that up. When you see a jump like that, it certainly makes sense if folks have finally had the chance to tabulate their returns over this past year and maybe take a step back from writing some of those big checks for inputs. It, it reevaluated how they view the industry. And to that end, Dr. Mentor, I know you ask about how things look today, but also expectations for the future. Are we seeing any changes there? Yeah, so one of the things we do every month is ask people about their farm's financial uh, performance expectations for the current year versus a year ago, and that's known as the Farm Financial Performance Index. And that index rose substantially in December and really correlated with what we showed in the barometer itself. It was up 18 points. But that question asked about 2022 compared to 2021. We asked the same question on this last survey looking ahead to 2023 versus 2022. And we got a different picture. Uh, that index was down uh, to 91. So basically about 18 points lower than what people were telling us for uh, the 2022 versus 2021. And I think that makes a lot of sense if you think about it a couple of different ways. First of all, input co cost in 23 um, are going to be higher even than they were in 2022 for most folks. Uh, our budgets would suggest somewhere between 5 and 10% increase for crop producers. Uh, so that's one consideration. The other consideration is when we ask somebody about 2023, you're asking them to compare it to 2022 and you're looking at our data and looking at USDA's data, that's one of the best years in decades. And so you're asking people to make a comparison to a very strong income year. And so in that sense, it's not too surprising that people would have a weaker expectation for 23 versus 22. That doesn't mean 23 is gonna be a terrible year. No, it doesn't, but it does change the way people plan and make decisions. And to that end, Dr. Mentor, I know you also track farm capital investments. Of course, prices are high. What's that doing to the investment matrix on farms across the country? So we ask a question to ask people about, uh, is now a good time or a bad time to make large investments in their farming operation? And that index value has been pretty weak. I think uh, we did see a small bounce in that index this past month. Uh, it rose up, I think, to an index reading of 40, up from about 31, so a nine-point improvement. But again, if you go back two years, that index was much, much higher than that. So we were up with a reading up above, I think, 75 at that point. So we've lost a lot of that confidence. But we've been asking some follow-up questions on that one, and that one really focuses on, you know, if you think now is a bad time to make a large investment in your farming operation, why do you think that? So this question only went to people who said they thought it was a bad time to make large investments. And no big surprise, Mike, the number one choice of those participants in the survey was increase in prices for farm machinery and new construction. So I think when we pick up this weakness in that farm capital investment index, what we're really picking up is this idea that people think it's a bad time because I can't get a good deal. If I go out and buy a tractor or a combine, I'm probably going to pay list price. Uh, I might have to wait uh, six months or more. You know, we're still hearing stories about people waiting until the end of 23 to get farm equipment they've ordered uh, just recently. In some cases, maybe even spilling over into 2024. So those inventories are still very tight. Uh, if you look at used farm machinery values, they've been extremely strong. I'm looking at all the auction report data. So people are telling us it's not a great time to make investments because I can't get a good deal. 
that's not the same thing as saying I won't make an investment. And so we've had a little bit of a challenge there in kind of sorting that out. But I think people are still concerned about just the cost side of what it takes to, to buy a new piece of farm equipment, uh, to put up a building, et cetera. It's gonna be interesting to see how that changes as those supplies kind of loosen up as we head through 2023. Right. Those supplies could loosen up, but the cost of money could go up. Are rising interest rates impacting farmers' decisions? They're starting to show up. You know, one of the things, one of the questions we've been asking people is, you know, what are your biggest concerns for the upcoming year? Um, and we, we give them choices because this is the telephone survey to kind of sort things out and make it easier to respond to the survey. But the number one concern continues to be higher input cost. But in the most recent uh, couple of surveys, the number two choice has been rising interest rates. So almost half the people are saying rising uh, input cost, but about 20% are saying rising interest rates. All right, those costs do trickle down to the bottom line, folks. We've been talking with Dr. James Minter, Director of the Center for Commercial Agriculture at Purdue, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate the opportunity. And folks, tune in tomorrow. AOA will return and we'll dig into some of these other factors that are moving our markets, impacting your bottom line. We'll see you then. Take care, everyone. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.